And we're live. Yes, Hello, Joe. Are. Scott. What's going on? The end in, of the world. In the real world. In the real world. It's mad. It's a madhouse. It is? It is a madhouse. Only if you're paying attention, though. <sighs> it's a lot of people now, these days. Yeah. But a lot of people, I think, are... For years, we were like, you know, is anyone listening? Is anyone yeah. out there? So it's, not a lot of people <clears throat> it's not possible to, to not pay attention, right? If you're... Cause well, if you just shut off your TV and don't go, go, go don't go on the internet, uh, then you can shut it all out. But a lot of people are watching, still watching the media and, and getting it somehow or other. And yeah, in the past, if the media played down stuff, then everything seemed fine. But now the media is playing things up a lot, um, specifically yeah. with Russia, obviously, and the trucker convoys. Uh, it's all gone a bit pear shaped, right? There's a lot of insecurity, fear and loathing, uncertainty, all sorts of stuff like that, right? The media messaging is extreme. It just gets more and more extreme as time goes mm-hmm. by. But I think if there's a nuts and bolts reason for people's attention being grabbed, just look at any number one of any country's statistics on who fared how, in what way, economically, financially. How did it hit their budget, household budgets, during the lockdowns? Mm. Um, I saw one recently, but there's many, many similar ones. Um, Something like the top 20% of earners in a Western country, maybe it was the United States, maybe it was the UK, I can't recall, did better. Mm. They worked less and the furlough combined with savings, <clears throat> combined with government subsidies of other types, actually increased their financial means by roughly speaking about 20% for the top 20%. Mm. If you were below a certain threshold, which is the other four-fifths of the population, your wallet was hit. Mm-hmm. You had less disposable income mm. and less work because you weren't working, etc. Interesting that how that happens, isn't it? What by accident? I don't. Course. Is it? I don't know. Of course, it's, it's not even planned. It, it's probably an inbuilt. It's it's part of something that's much <clears> older. <throat> it predates COVID and the pandemic, um, and it's the underlying structural balance of things mm. coming to the fore, and. Those on top naturally will feather the nest. It may, it may have, there may be something that's conspiratorial, but it, there may be something in it where that top 10 or 20%, I mean, as you go further into the, the, the single digits, they made the most, right? You talk about all the big, uh, like Amazon. Oh, yeah, it's an increasing stuff. scale. Right. Yeah. Uh, but maybe the further you go up in terms of earning and power and control and influence in society, it's correlated with uh, a lack of respect or lack of seriousness taken. Uh, in regards to the COVID pandemic, like they didn't, they, they maybe had some idea, they knew how things work and they realized that uh, the whole COVID thing was a bit of a scam, you didn't have to worry too much about it and they just carried on business as usual or even more more so sought to exploit the whole situation in whatever way they could. Mm-hmm. They looked at the whole situation, okay, there's a new dynamic, everybody's kind of locked down, people are being furloughed from their jobs, blah, blah, how do we make money off this basically? Obviously tech sectors, especially online shopping and stuff would have made a lot of money, Amazon, that kind of stuff, those those businesses. But uh, I think those the, the, the great and the good, you know, the uh, as they call themselves, the elite, uh, as other people call them, um, I really got the impression over the past couple of years that they didn't take it very seriously at all. You know what I mean? That they did have an in on how how the whole thing was playing out, what the point behind it was in a certain sense, and that, you know, those rules are primarily for the, like you just mentioned, the four-fifths down below, right? Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who did kind of, in a certain sense, screw themselves over by, you know, uh, following too tightly with uh, 
following the rules too tightly and stuff, out of fear of, you know, dying, as they were told they were going to die. Um, and they suffered as a result, you know, because uh, the societies that they that they normally contributed to, uh, that they worked in, all that kind of stuff, took a bit of a downturn, and then that reflects back on the average wage earner, let's say, you know. Mm-hmm. But not above, right? They found a way to uh, to exploit the whole situation and make a shit ton of money. Yeah. So and, and there are yeah, <clears throat> absolutely direct effects as well. Th- that only takes into consideration people who are salaried, employed, employees of another mm. organization, big or small. Mm. 100,000 small and medium businesses in went the United States went and won't come back. Mm. They're gone. Yeah. They, uh, those people have to restart. Right. And obviously they were, they were employers as well. So there's people, people out, out, out of work, out of jobs and stuff. Exactly. You know? um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, how that works. People need to get a clue, really, don't they? <coughs> so, if, if strictly on the strictly material grounds, it's it shouldn't surprise us then that um, protest dissent yeah. is it's growing and growing now. There's a lag between it and the first the first effects of it taking hold materially mm. on people. Mm-hmm. Supply chain issues sort of kicked in in a big way late last summer, last fall, and here we are now after a hard winter for many of them, and they've had enough. Yeah. Just ask, go refer to any number of interviews with mm-hmm. protesters, be it in Canada, Germany, France, Australia, New Zealand, and they're fed up. And specifically, they, they will say, you know, this is it for me. This is, I have no, I have this truck and the camper in the back and yeah. it's all in for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So the Canadian thing's rolling on, uh, figuratively yeah, and, and literally it's into its third week now. Um, at least. Depends where you start yeah. from. I think it's three like, weeks in Ottawa, right. but it's, there was a week before that, of course, yeah. with the, the famous scenes with her on the, on, on, on the march. Um, I think it's three weeks. Yeah. At least, and, yeah. and they, um, and and the government's not for not for moving. This government isn't for budging. This lady, Lady Trudeau, isn't for budging. Isn't for the Iron Chancellor. Yeah, the Iron Chancellor, yeah, a parody of the Iron Chancellor. Um, yeah, it's pretty pathetic. Like, but at least he showed up. Yeah, <laughs> so and I mean, two weeks and he was not there. He showed up he eventually, showed up. but I mean, he just makes it worse, you know, yeah. by his being complete, his complete lack of statesmanship or you know, uh, gravitas or. Anything serious about the guy? He's got this kind of, kind of. Um, he has a whiny voice, whiny which doesn't voice. help him. No, and mm. also the words that he that come that come out of it yeah. don't really help in terms of he just doubles down on his. These people are you know anti democratic, anti Canadian. This is not what Canada represents. Blah. I mean, it's ridiculous. You yeah. Know? Um, of course, there's a lot of the Canadians aren't directly involved. Most, the vast majority of Canadians aren't directly involved in the protests, right? But are the people who are involved? representative of a, a good proportion, a large proportion of the Canadian people. More than half? Who knows? Mm. It's hard to get get uh, get an idea of, of, of how many Canadians actually support it, but... Because you can be sure there'll be no official polls to support that. For sure, but I think at this point, I think most people would have to accept that even the kind of Karen-type people um, who are scared, of it, scared for their lives, basically, for, for the past two years... They've all had the vaccine, they've all had the booster maybe, and uh, there's no need to, I think any reasonable person would say at this point we need to stop, end this whole, uh, these restrictions and the, the kind of, the lockdown elements and all that, all that kind of stuff. And um, and the discrimination against non-vaxxed people and, um, and just go back to 
normal life. So I think you probably I think it'd be reasonable to say that a majority of, them are, of Canadians agree with that general stance that it's time to say bye bye to the whole fear mongering and pandemic and move on. Yeah. So to that extent, Druckers probably have support amongst a majority of Canadians. I would say. Yeah. To one extent or another, some level of support. Yeah, so for, for Trudeau to come out and say this is not what we're about and blah blah, blah. I mean, what does he mean? This is not what we're. About? This this doesn't reflect. This isn't what Canada is about. This isn't. This doesn't reflect uh, or represent Canadians. It probably does to a large extent. Uh, so he's the one who doesn't represent Canadians. And I mean, there's talk about him having to, to go to to you know that it's he's no longer his position is no longer tenable. Basically, he has to move. But you were just saying that, um, and and the, you mentioned actually Jordan Peterson opined on that calling to the Canadian opposition to say listen this is your opportunity to move in and take over you yeah. can exploit uh, this movement uh, and this this moment to yeah, take he's, power he's, it's interesting that he's speaking up a lot about this and he commented recently that um, well on a couple of different occasions in one he, he said he's seriously considering entering politics himself good luck to you <laughs> the other one though he says uh as a kind of message for the opposition leaders, the mainstream ones, you know, never mind uh, the populist party of Maxime Bernier, the mainstream Conservative Party, even the NDP, the, the Liberal Party in Canada, he says, basic message was seize the day, for goodness sake, you know, governments have fallen for far less in the past, right. just, you know, there, there are means, there are natural parliamentary means yeah. to I don't know. Vote of no confidence. Vote whatever. of no confidence, basically. Yeah. But, um, but you reckon no. Why? No, it's not happening because all of this is connected. This isn't just Canada. I think, I think in ordinary times, if this was a mass protest movement in Canada, a Canadian establishment, namely the other parties, would indeed sit Trudeau down and say, look, your position is not tenable. So... Let's make a deal here. Okay, you, and then they'd barter a bit and maybe Trudeau leave in 10 months. There'd be a new government and they'd ease whatever measures are annoying people the mm -hmm. most. Mm -hmm. Specifically, it's basically the mandates, mm -hmm. vaccine mandates. I think he is under probably, we're guessing here, but I think he's not so much because he's an ideological nut job. I think that's the kind of mainstream, well, mainstream, it's the, the alternative. The main dissident yeah. opinion of them at the moment. I think they're also missing something. I think Trudeau is under tremendous pressure from his colleagues at international level not to back down mm. because look at how connected all this is. We're in an interconnected world. The French, the British, the Irish, particularly in the Western world, and particularly in the Anglophone world, the, the Australians for sure and the Kiwis see the Canadian truckers and they go, let's do that too. Yeah, and they right. have started to do that too. Right. It's all connected. And I think he, Trudeau will be under pressure from his colleagues at that level. If you back down, you're going to set a precedent that's mm. going to inspire these guys mm -hmm. to do likewise in other countries. Mm -hmm. One domino falls, it all falls. So mm. you, in a, in a kind of the, the mirror messaging of what these protesters around the world are telling each other, hold the line, hold the line against the tyranny. Trudeau's getting the same messaging. You have to hold, hold the line. If you fall here, we all are at risk of... You know, hold the line against, against tyranny, popular tyranny, against the tyranny of the, of the great unwashed. Yeah, their version of it. Yeah.
So yeah. it's partly because he it. believes in it and partly because yeah. he's not a president. Well, I think there's always reluctance among governments, any government, to give in to kind of those kind of protests, you know, even if they're non-violent. Certainly if they're violent, they have an excuse to say, well, this is, this is ridiculous. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't appease uh, violent people. We don't give in to people, violent people's demands. But when they're non-violent, uh, it's just the same because it, it's people power to, you know, it's democracy in action, and of course, the allegation, the claim, the counterclaim from the from the Canadian government and other governments is that this is actually undemocratic. That that uh, there, it's a, it's a threat. The Canadian truckers and the Canadian protesters are a threat to democracy, because they're they're making an appeal to the rest of the population. They're trying. They're not saying it explicitly, but they're implying that uh, the one fraction. This is a small percentage yeah. of the population, and if they have, if they force their will. They'll be forcing it on the majority, and that's not democracy. But that's why you don't get any uh, polls on uh, how many people in Canada actually support the protests. I mean, apparently yeah. you just don't do that because then it's as difficult as trying to find real numbers on how many people were actually exposed to COVID or died of COVID. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that baseline figure. Don't <clears throat> let them see the baseline. You know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, we'll see where it goes. I mean, they're they're they tried to kick them out, tried to get rid of them, tried to. Put an end to it, basically, um, but it hasn't worked. They tried to. Well, at the moment, they're just using lawfare. I mean, there have been a few isolated cases of pl- police brutality, but their numbers are overwhelmed. The Ottawa ma- mayor's office is like, we need like ten thousand more police. There's mm. just too many people out mm. here. They tried last week incrementally. First, they banned bringing fuel. So anyone with a jerry can was being stopped. So the next day, like 2,000 people showed up with three red empty jerry cans each to give the police, the police something to do, you know. Mm. They realized that wasn't working. They banned the honking. Or they, they bartered, I think, with the truckies. And they agreed to stop doing it all night long. Waking people up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, now it's getting more serious. Uh, last week, the Ontario Premier, Doug Ford, mm. A formally declared a state of emergency for Ontario, which allows for the arrest and imprisonment of Canadians for up to one year in jail, of, of the protesters specifically. Uh, he adds that uh, dissidents can be fined $100,000. So Dissidents? Wow. That, that was how it was reported, actually, in the Globe and Mail. Disgruntled citizens. Domestic terrorists. They, didn't, they, they, they made a mistake there. They should have said, all right, these all right people, but dissidents. What dissidents? They, they frankly said it. Yeah. So... Um, that's lawfare. That's the first, you know, the, the threat of the big stick. That's where we're at. So, um, yeah, trying to intimidate people at this point. Yeah, it's not working. It's not working. They're digging in. There's still a phenomenal, like, sizes, numbers of people in Ottawa itself. But it's more interesting to see how it's um, do you know manifesting what the defin- across the country in small ways. Do you, know what the, do you know what the dictionary definition of dissident is? A person who opposes official policy, especially that of an authoritarian state. Right, we come full circle. <laughs> they just admitted, if you use the word dissident, if you're, government, if you're in government and you use the word dissident to protesters, you're basically describing yourself as an authoritarian state, according to the dictionary. Uh, ah, but the dictionary has changed. Ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the dictionary has changed a lot of ways. But yeah, okay, that, and that's, you know, it fits. That's what people will commonly understand it to be. Um, yeah, so it's the wrong word to use for the government. So then there was the, the money issue. Um, that opened people's eyes up in a big way. GoFundMe, of course, is supposed to be a, a crowdsourced you know, platform for people to raise money, and they're supposed to be distributed directly to the charity of your source. Well, they just suspended, they seized or 
Agreed. No, I think in the end they were forced to say they would return the money, almost yeah, yeah. 10 million Canadian dollars yeah. to protesters. Yeah. Then they tried some other platform, and this one, I can't remember the name of it. Um, it's a Christian. This one was ordered by the government to close that campaign as well. Hmm. Then there was... Um, I haven't I haven't been able to find out exactly what this is, but apparently some Canadian banks, they're doing background checks on the organizers, who they think they are the organizers anyway. It's mm-hmm. hard to tell in the mass movement. And I, I better not make the claim. I'm not sure. My, my interpretation of what I heard was that they're actually going into the banks and just freezing the assets of certain people mm-hmm. involved with the protests. Yeah. That's totally like extra legal. I don't know how they legally would just be able to justify that. Mm -hmm. But it is the kind of practice that has been going on for some time now. It's basically a form of lock-in, a bail-in, as well as a bail-out. You remember when the the euro crisis hit big time after 2008? Cyprus was the first instance where you simply locked in the funds of people there and then took whatever was needed mm-hmm. to pay off debts or to mm-hmm. pay back creditors elsewhere in mm-hmm. the eurozone etc confiscation and, and cypriots were like they couldn't even get to the point of going ah we've been alerted they're about to take our money and do a bank run and take it out mm-hmm. it was just locked and removed a portion right. of it from everyone yeah so that kind of thing is happening in practice you know i don't know how widespread it is with protesters but you can see where we go from here mm-hmm. people have pointed out you know this is the problem with the digitization of currency. Uh, the end game being you know, purely digital currency. Yeah, yeah. But when a cashless society, it's like if you want to help someone or to pay for something and that transaction is deemed illegal as far as the government's concerned, they it'll, just, it'll it. just nix it. Right. Digitally, it's easy to do. Yeah, there's no going to an ATM and getting cash out or writing a check or anything like that. It's, uh, no. it's all online digital transfer of funds and you only have access to it if you're allowed to have access to it. It can easily be taken away. Yeah. The question now is between this financial manipulation of what's going on or counter as they would see it, this is, we have to get order back in this country. So as they say, this is totally legitimate, whatever laws they cite to, to, to justify what they're doing. So between those kinds of financial actions against anyone involved, especially organizers, between lawfare tactics where you basically come up with new bylaws and say, you're waving a Canadian flag past midnight, mm. you're under arrest. Mm-hmm. You're holding a jerry can, you're under arrest. Mm-hmm. The threats between lawfare, financial attacks, and other means of just wearing them out. Um, I think they, they're thinking they can put this to bed. They, yeah. can, um, wind, they can last, they can survive this longer mm-hmm. than the protesters. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? Do you, do you think this will go away? I mean, the yellow vest thing went away in France. Well, yeah. Well, the background it took time, but it did dwindle down. The background to the whole thing is that the COVID measures across. I mean, there's already in I think in Alberta, they basically dropped the remaining COVID measures uh, just last week. I think announced it. You know, so that's one state in in, ah, yeah. in, in Canada that has kind of, you know kind of acceded, even though they weren't the, the, uh, a focal point of, of protests uh, in Alberta, they, uh, the, the, the premier, is it premier? Premier. Premier in, in Canada um, decided to just drop it. So, I mean, there's the option. There. I've heard the two other uh, provinces follow suit. Right. A small so, one, Prince Edward Island, and yeah. I think Saskatchewan. Yeah. I think, I mean, some, it's what's most like, I mean, they were going to do it anyway this year. Yeah. Fairly soon. 
most governments in the world already have or I mean they may not some of them may keep their vaccine pass for a little while longer but basically in terms of restrictions and forced mask mandates or forced uh, you know uh, COVID testing and that kind of stuff that's all going to is already in process of disappearing going away mm-hmm. you know um, and as, especially in the northern hemisphere as summer approaches warm weather um, you can't really justify you're not going to keep it there anyway even from a, the science will tell you that you can drop these now, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. effectively. So uh, it's weird to be in that situation where they may have been going to do it anyway in the near future, but protests, but, but protests again, that suggests anyway. that protests, protesters are protesting about something else. Yeah. And maybe they're not very clear about what they're protesting about. Maybe they're protesting about the past two years. Now that they're allowed to protest and they've all been vaccinated or whatever, and they feel like they're, they're, it's safe to go out and you know engage in society, that's when they start protesting about just lots of different things maybe, but a general malaise, a general feeling that um, the government has has been, you know, I, I think you'd be you'd be hard pressed to have anybody define exactly, you know, what they're protesting about as as one particular topic or one particular main issue type thing. There's probably don't they, a, a don't range they simplify of it down to the mandates? In Canada, they want their freedom back, right? But yeah. again, if they're coming from different provinces or different states in Canada, there are different. Uh, levels of that in, in, in different states, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's not a uniform yeah. uh, complaint, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I, that's why I get the impression that they just didn't, li- they didn't like, while they were forced to adhere to these, particularly in Ontario, uh, these really restrictive mandates, they did it uh, because they were being told by the science, quote unquote, that you know it was dangerous and they were protecting themselves and get vaccinated and all that kind of stuff. But now that it's kind of like over in a certain sense and they've come out of it, they're airing the grievances after the fact in a certain sense, you know what I mean? Although, like, I'm not saying that there aren't still mandates in Canada, there are, but, and, and, and restrictions, but... Yeah, th- this this could speak to what I was saying earlier. Because a lot lie. of them are just saying, tr- tr- like, a lot of them hate Trudeau. They want Trudeau gone. So there's a big element in there about people actually not liking Trudeau and using this yeah. as a way to voice their distaste for Trudeau. Uh, that, yeah, that, I, it occurred to me last week that that might explain how this convoy maybe on its way through alberta mm. acquired <clears throat> nuclear fuel for sure. because the yeah. alberta province <laughs> never right. voted for trudeau not right. at the beginning tends, or tends not recently more conservative it's yeah. a like more conservative but it's an oil-based economy and they're the ones who have fairly light uh, restrictions and the restrictions are pretty much even before they announced just this week that they were dropping all of the remaining ones they were already more or less open so the fact that they pick up a lot of people from alberta suggest that it's about Trudeau and just the generalized unhappiness with Trudeau and his brand of governance. Yeah, the woke politics <clears throat> maybe. Right, exactly. So okay, so there's that. And maybe also there's the, what I spoke about earlier, the lag. Um, it's hitting people economically mm-hmm. now. Yeah, for sure. The, the past two years is hitting them now. Um, and so they're protesting and yet, as you point out, they're protesting at a time when it's been well signaled by now by governments that they're undoing the most restrictive stuff. Yeah. Now, but there might be exceptions, though. I mean, in Canada, Canada is still the only country in the world that locks in its population. You're not allowed to – formally, you cannot leave the country unless right. you're vaccinated. Right. And that was why the truckers specifically were motivated. They couldn't cross – they could cross into the U.S. with freight, but they couldn't return home. Mm-hmm. Without being vaccinated. Without being, well, yeah. uh, and that applies also for just, you know, to travel abroad for, for, for holidays, for leisure. Um, yeah. And, of course, the two other countries 
three other countries come to mind that have the largest similar type freedom convoy protest movements underway. One, the two down in the antipodes, uh, Australia, quarantine camps, Mm -hmm. they're still in action, right? Mm -hmm. As far as I know. And then, of course, uh, Jacinda, uh, zero COVID, Ardern, the country with like 56 cases Mm -hmm. of COVID in two years or 56 deaths from COVID in two years. Um, very strict, so strict. Can Kiwis can still can't return? Right. I think that's still the case. They're that hasn't been lifted. Opening, and, and then it. they're protesting afterwards. It's still the case. Yeah, but they've talked. They're talking again. Like I've said, they're okay, talking they are, about opening it up, like on on a kind of phased basis or something, or sections of the country or something like that on a phased basis. You know, because uh, I have a brother who lives there, and he was he was mentioning that that they're so it ties in with what I'm saying that and they're in the southern hemisphere. You know what I mean? But. Yeah. Uh, it ties in with, even if they're in the summer hemisphere, New Zealand is going to follow, you know, kind of with a lag, follow what the other uh, Anglo Northern Hemisphere countries uh, do. So, um, yeah, it, it, they're basically all, the COVID business is going away uh, progressively. And, you know, what, but what, like, we're, like we've been saying in previous shows, what's replacing it, you know? Um, well, this is the thing. Is it like is it like a tide retreating, but leaving behind on the landscape certain key features, right. like the medical apartheid principle? Mm. Is that now about to be institutionalized? Maybe not because of COVID, but will that remain the case? Will that return? Mm. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the vax versus unvax. Uh, yeah. Like, well, there's definitely throw up the throw up the guardian. France still has it. Yeah. Throw up the Guardian, but that'll that'll probably go as well. At least they're talking about their, their vaccine pass, dropping their vaccine pass. Throw up the Guardian article there, Scotty, will you? Um, this is just from yesterday. I mean, you know, it's a, uh, it's not. I'm not saying it's reflective of of government policy, UK government policy, uh, but it's it's the media, you know, for I don't know for clickbait or something like that, keeping it going. Next COVID strain could kill many more warned scientists ahead of England restriction. I mean, England is pretty much mostly done, open. There's only a few, like, testing requirements and all that kind of stuff. But apparently this uh, next week or something like that, they're pretty much dropping everything. And um, But apparently The Guardian is citing um, UK scientists. Mm, and uh, The odd person, Edinburgh University you know, uh, different people, talking heads, just that, you know, people who would never have seen the light of day before. Select scientists. Basically. Scientists who have not yeah. yet been censored. Yeah. No. They ha- well, they haven't been, se- what do you mean by censored? Yeah. <laughs> but these ones won't be censored for sure. They're right. the ones who are saying that. It's going, but it'll be back. No. Yeah, exactly. They're sounding the alarm and questioning about, questioning the idea of, of removing constric- restrictions, you know what I mean? Because they wanted to keep going because how are, like, those scientists who are mentioned on in the, down in the fourth or fifth paragraph, there's one of them, epidemiologist Mark, Mark Woolhouse of Edinburgh University. I mean, I've never heard of him before. I don't think anybody else did outside of Edinburgh University, maybe a few places, but that's about it. Uh, he would never have been in The Guardian uh, or, or um, any others that they mentioned. Lawrence Young of Warwick University. Um, these are kind of like pencil heads, you know, um, who labor away in obscurity. And over the past few couple of years, they've had, you know, they've been had their their moment in the in the limelight and they liked it you know 
And so when they're asked about uh, the pandemic and is this gone, like, so they're like, so Mr. Mr. Epidemiologist, do you think that we can all just forget about this horrible past two years and, um, and just go back to normal, implying that we will never have to speak to you again? Well, no, actually, I don't think that we should just uh, let it go and never speak to me again. I think uh, you should speak to me quite often. And on that point, I predict that there's going to be another pandemic quite soon when you will definitely want to talk to me again because I'll have predicted it. <laughs> yeah, just magnify that out. Every country has them. And that's, they're getting into a problem with human nature, basically, you know, in terms of objectivity and subjectivity and personal interest and all that kind of stuff, you know. And like I've said, I think, I hope I've said many times, when people talk about the science, they omit the fact that the science doesn't exist except through human beings, except through the heads, brains, whatever, hearts, if they have them, of human beings. You know what I mean? It's filtered through fallible human beings. There's no such thing as, in that sense, purely always objective science. It always comes through human beings, clearly, obviously. The work is done by human beings. The results are assessed by human beings. And very often they're assessed by governments who decide whether or not that particular type of science should be released or this particular type of science should be released or should, this, uh, the, should these results be released or should these results, conflicting results, be released. So all, f all of the science, this vaunted science that we're all told to, to pay heed to uh, over the past few years because it's absolutely objective and no one can ever dis disagree with it is by definition not objective at all because it comes through human beings. Yeah. Um, Which most people forget. Norway announced Friday lifting all restrictions. Mm. <clears throat> but again, there's a kind of a, a fly in the ointment. They're lifting all restrictions, but they're going to leave in place their vaccine pass yeah. on a voluntary basis. Right. And of course, when you leave something institutional there, in future, it can become mandatory again. Right. You can have a new vaccine for a new something, new HIV, who knows? Maybe we'll all have to start get vac getting vaccinated against HIV for some bizarre reason soon. So um, and, uh, it'd, be good to be, it'd be good to have, like you said, have that infrastructure in place so you can just, everybody knows, knows the drill, right? You know what to do. Go get your vaccine, show your vaccine pass. Those lockdown. who don't have it, sorry, you're not going to X, Y, Z. Lockdown, social distance, and whatever you do, don't talk to your neighbor. Yeah. Uh, another kind of warning this week, Germany's health minister. minister. Again, someone I probably wouldn't have heard of. <laughs> well, he's in the new government, so of course I haven't. Lauterbach, his name is. Um, he said something like, the translation I have is, it's not just en enough to annoy the unvaccinated. You have to do more. And mm -hmm. he wants, he still wants, he says, mandatory vaccination, like in Austria, for Germany, come April, May. Mm -hmm. Like you say, though, the, the, the main trend is in the other direction. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be mid-March before we see Austria actually enforce with fines. Yeah. So that uh, mandatory vaccination in what, what's your scientific justification for that going to be when you're coming out of the uh, respiratory virus season and into summer how are you going to justify it you're not going to have any cases you're not going to have any uh, deaths you're going to have it I don't know because the two have to be I mean the whole point of this thing was right they're all in lockstep right mm. so he, Germany's health minister is saying that at the same time that Norway said it's lifting its restrictions because quote it no longer sees a major health threat to citizens yeah it's all so if there's no major health threat, how can you mandate 
anything. Right. Because we say so, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> shut up and get your vaccine. Um, well, just there's one here. Talk about, um, I don't know what you call it, gross hypocrisy. Uh, I don't know. There's, I can't find the proper words for it. Just uh, throw one up there, Scotty. Um, this is the New Zealand, or sorry, Australian Prime um, No. Yeah, it is actually. He's, that guy isn't who's on the video. Okay. Um, this is the Australian Prime Minister um, talking about and answering a question from a reporter about people who have uh, had vaccine side effects. Indemnity. I want to make uh, something very, very clear. Australia already has vaccine indemnity agreements in place. So no doctor need worry. People who sadly died um, taking AstraZeneca. And would you be worried if um, one of those uh, people, as I understand it, um, had or the family claims didn't get, uh, wasn't fully informed of the symptoms to look out for? Well, we're all responsible for our own health. And when it comes to informed consent and giving consent to whatever treatment or procedure you may have or I may have, then I'm ultimately responsible for what people do in their health treatment to me. And, uh, and there has been the opportunity uh, for people to visit their GP, to have that consultation. The government has provided that and funded that. And the informed consent process provides the decision to the individual. That's the sort of country we live in. People <laughs> make their own decisions about their own health and their own bodies. <laughs> This yeah, that people make their own decisions about their own health. Well, this is in a country where that guy basically threatened people with sending them to jail and with massive fines if they did not get a vaccine. That, and then he has the gall to turn around and say people make their own decisions. They're fully entitled. That's the country, kind of country we live in is where you, get, you have the right to make your own decision about what anybody puts in your body. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's what Australia is all about, what except he was over the past two years. What he was saying was, the reporter asked him, so there's one person who died after taking the AstraZeneca vaccine, what do you have to say to their family? Basically, that's what he was invited. He basically said in response, tough shit, that was your choice, mate. Yeah, except it was a slightly weighted choice, ever so slightly weighted choice, i.e. people were told, you're going to die if you don't get this vaccine, uh, it will find you. It's like a heat-seeking missile that will, you know, that will never stop, it will never, it's like... You remember the Australian government does? Yeah, for sure. And in other countries as well. Um, massive manipulation, massive emotional manipulation of people to get a vaccine and backed up with the threat of uh, fines and imprisonment and also the threat of at any moment if you, if you test positive or something, you're going to a quarantine camp. So that was a free choice, according to him. And it's your, your fault if you took it. I mean, yeah, it is. In a certain sense, I can, that's survival of the fittest in a certain sense, right? That's like... You know, people who, who, who held out and said this is bullshit and were able to hold out and say I'm not getting no vaccine because I don't need it because I have an immune system. Thank you very much. Stick your vaccine up your ass. Um, they are proven, by, even by his words, to have been the ones who uh, stuck to their, their um, democratic rights, their civil rights. To act on informed and, consent. And act on informed consent. And... Uh, so all it's, the goal, I mean, the listen, yeah, you listen to that, and you must feel if you got a vaccine, then you you must feel like I, yeah, I was completely duped. That may, that alone may be um, 
a big motivator for these protests, huh? Yeah. The bullshit. Well. The, That's what the, the kind of, They're coming back around and covering their yeah. asses. I think amongst the people who are willing to go out and protest, there's a bunch of different um, factors that are motivating them. But And, and it's, uh, it's, it's generally stuff that happened over the past two years and also the fallout from it and just general distaste and the attitude of government throughout it. Like, you know, of, I mean, of course, there's going to be a bunch of people who will all say, you know, the government did very well, they kept us safe. But people have a bit of sense. Uh, are able to look at it and say the government really acted badly here and we couldn't do anything in the moment because we were all, you know, under, under collective <coughs> kind of tyranny or collective uh, Mass formation psychosis. Yeah, more or less. But now we've sl- those that are coming out of it now are expressing the frustration and the yeah. anger and the uh, discontent that they felt over the past two years with what was going on. Never mind what was said to them two years ago. Can you tell that up, Scotty? This is what was said to them two months ago. Yeah. This is what the White House said, but it was repeated by the German government, the Hungarian government, the British government, the Australian government. Two months ago, White House statement. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death. For yourselves, your families and the hospitals, you may soon overwhelm. Was that not fact-checked by some of the fact-checkers and proven to be completely false? Because I said it actually, and maybe that's the answer. I said it a few shows ago. I've said it about five times in the first few minutes that if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to die. If that was if that was uh, misinformation, medical misinformation, which it clearly is, because if you don't get vaccinated, you're not going to die. But that's pretty much what the White House was saying, like you said, a few months ago, and uh, it's not medical misinformation. So, I mean, I don't know. We're in a stage here where it's bizarre. Either you you can see you what it is when it's written plainly in front of your face or you can't or you refuse to see it. It's not about whether you can or can't, it's whether you are willing to, you know what I mean? There's some other reason. I mean, there's so much stuff around and that's just, you know, COVID and protest and that kind of stuff. We can move on to, um, like we were saying, what's, what's replacing the COVID, the COVID scare. Uh, there's obviously another scare that's been going on for quite a while and it's um, Russia, Ukraine, and it's the title of our show this week, which is, uh, the end of the world. When is it? It was 2.30pm precisely on <laughs> Wednesday the 15th of February 2022. Uh, Hitler will return in the form of uh, Vladimir Putin. Already has refor- returned in the, f- in the form of Vladimir Putin. And um, Just throw up that BBC one there just to underline that point. Oh, it actually, do you want to see the Daily Mail version of it? Well, we'll do the, but we'll do both. We'll do this one first because it's um, it's it's subtle, you know. And anybody who has uh, anybody who knows a bit of history will. Um, oh, did you see how you can the news you can trust uh, is on the BBC there. That pop up um, a whiff of Munich in the air. Now, if you if you don't know much about history, if you don't even have a a passing interest in history, you might think what. Like sausages or something? Is there a sausage factory opened up or something? Ah, Munich. Uh, it's the October Beer Fest. Ah, Beer Fest. Ah, October the beer beer's fest. in yeah, the yeah. air. Yeah. No, that's obviously a reference to um, uh, World War Two, And, I mean, there's been talk around it as well of appeasement, right? And appeasement was the whole thing uh, leading up to World War Two, uh, i.e. appeasing Hitler. And the obvious implication here, uh, the obvious, you know, it's a thinly veiled statement that Putin is Hitler and... The way, according to the, this is Ben Wallace, is the uh, UK Defence Secretary. According to him, who I don't know exactly who, but in general, he thinks there's an attitude of appeasement of 
rush of Putin slash Hitler, uh, and that it obviously is bringing back, uh, you know, the the elements of or the the lead up to the Second World War. Um, again, another implication obviously is that Russia uh, Russia's plans are to invade Europe for Lebensraum, right? For living room because Russia obviously has a very have enough. a very small country and really needs a lot more land. Like it needs a freaking hole in the head, but uh, it doesn't matter when it uh, don't let facts get in the way of a good bunch of bullshit propaganda. Um, this is a distinctly British insult because it's it's double layered. Is that first line? Russia, Russia is highly likely to invade. How many times have you seen "highly likely" or words to that effect over the past at least month? Ten thousand. Probably in the media, if you put up "highly likely Ukraine Russia imminent." Uh, <laughs> You'll get like literally thousands of mainstream media headlines saying that thing over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, they have no shame. You know, when you say imminent every day for six weeks or two months, do you, do you, do you, do you not know what that word means? It's just bizarre. Um, it's, well, it's, it's partly designed to pressure Russia, I think. And obviously, rally domestic support. But I was going to say this is a distinctly British insult because there's two mean there's two readings on it mm. that you're supposed to get simultaneously. It is obviously a dig at Russia, basically calling Putin Hitler. But the other one is that it's an insult to anyone who might consider right. being realistic with Putin, <clears throat> doing some real politics, giving him some respect that he deserves. Mm-hmm. Remember the German admiral? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a message to them. If you are in any way not on board with going to the nuclear brink mm-hmm. with the, so- the Soviet Union, huh? the Russian, Feder- Russian Federation, you're appeasing. Yeah. Appeasing this. There's another headline. And this, this makes my point. The Daily Mail is always good for Well, before good for we go headline. to the Daily Mail, can we look at this one? Because it refers to that um, uh, allegory of Munich appeasement, mm. but in a slightly different way. Look who it's turned on here. This is from The Independent uh, today, I think. <laughs> more Chamberlain than Churchill. Boris Johnson, more Chamberlain than Churchill over Ukraine, warns senior Tory. Wow. That's taking a dig. That's from within the Tory party, yep. taking the US line effectively and dissing Boris Johnson as a Chamberlain who who's accused of appeasing Hitler rather than Churchill who went toe-to-toe with him and fought him on the beaches, right? Yeah. Uh, it's bizarre that the, that the independent the UK outlet would be well. They're citing obviously they're just citing a Tory insider. It's interesting though that 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 members of Johnson's own party feel that they need, need to you know diss him in this way, which is obviously probably come because the main motivator of all of this anti-Russia rhetoric is from Washington. Yeah, and, but it's also got its Washington has its little enclave in the in the British establishment in, as well. In but, airstrip one, yeah. yeah. The the Anglo-American establishment, so um, yeah, and but what's the reasons for it? Yeah, well, we'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, throw up the Daily Mail one there just for for fun because the Daily Mail always, you know, it it kind of sum it summarizes uh, all of the this is the, the fields Daily, about it. Top of the Daily Mail website yesterday, Saturday, twelfth uh, of February. Headline: War in four days. Tuesday. Uh, the subheading is the Anglo-Saxons want war. That's quoting the Russian foreign ministry. Russia accuses the West of provoking conflict as US spooks say Putin 
has decided to invade Ukraine on Wednesday. At 2.30 p.m. <laughs> and again, they've got the uh, the obligatory map of Russian forces and massive arrows about to, you know, yeah, invade Ukraine there on the map. Russian uh, picture of a Russian frigate and I suppose there are more Ukrainian female soldiers digging into trenches in the middle there. Yeah, for sure. It's in four days. And I mean, if you followed that through and really believed that, I mean, it's a nuclear scenario we're talking about here. And Putin made that clear. There's a snippet. We can play it. I got a couple of minutes of him from his presser after he met with Macron last week. He said, look, this is very simple. If there's war in Ukraine, or more specifically, if Ukraine is ever emboldened to try and retake Crimea, it's, it's over. Do you, as French ministers and journalists understand that you will be in a nuclear war situation with us so that's the stakes indeed and the daily mail has no problem going toe-to-toe with what it sees as just pure brinkmanship Mm -hmm. and saying it's going to happen in four days Mm -hmm. they're basically like this is why like it's like the prophecy thing you know years ago in the early stages of the internet you it was obviously a free-for-all so you had all these kind of quirky kooky psychics predicting when exactly the world would end and they'd have more or less following you know and yeah. and then they would be obviously reported in the tabloids to make fun of them and to say crazy prophets somewhere in alabama predicts the world will end at 2 right. 30 p.m on this date in this year and they, right. it comes to pass and of course everyone has a good laugh well they've come full circle and started doing it themselves the cia let's say and that that didn't mail article is quoting spooks the the cia basically and u.s intelligence are, are basically a doomsday cult right now right Basically, yeah. they sound like one. Yeah. Last week, they sound like crazed, what, full-on conspiracy theorists when they said, uh, warning everyone, Russia is about to do a false flag with crisis actors to make you think there's been an atrocity in Ukraine, mm-hmm. justifying Russian blah, blah, blah. And they doubled down on that. There was a headline this weekend from um, Daily Telegraph. Uh, that didn't go away. We thought that had gone away because, you know, they kind of – Blasted it out last week, yeah. and then it seemed to just let's just quieten that down. It's a bit of much of a that it's, might be a bit much for people to take. Well, no, this is the Daily Telegraph yesterday. Russia plots false flag attack to provoke war with Ukraine. So they're just following up on it, yeah, yeah. And again, it's exciting, Ben Wallace. Not Boris Johnson, this is interesting. Vladimir Putin expected to claim he did not strike first as Ben Wallace, the defense secretary, fears straw man diplomacy. Hmm. And this comes as Wallace has just met with Shoigu this week as well. I think that took place in Russia. Um, yep. At the same time that Liz Truss was there meeting oh, Lavrov. Jesus, yeah. Liz Truss. <laughs> um, yeah, stick up that JPEG as you sent you, Scotty, uh, Putin. Did I send it to you? I think I did, yeah. Um, this picture, you've probably seen it. <laughs> Why are they at such a big table? That's a pretty big table. It's a nice table. But uh, it's a very long table. The backstory is, you might have read it somewhere, but the backstory is that um, Macron wouldn't take a PCR test. Uh, maybe it means he's not vaccinated, but although he claims he is. But anyway, he wouldn't take a PCR test oh. at the request of the Russians. Um, so... The Russians said, okay, you have to socially distance then, so we'll have to have a meeting like this over this nice big table that we have. No way. Where did you hear that? It's true. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's in the media, so it's true, right? No, but (laughs) but that's the explanation for this uh, socially distanced meeting. Uh, But the reason 
Macron wouldn't take a PCR test is because uh, his advisors uh, feared that uh, the Russians would get access to his DNA. No way. You yeah. made that up. No. <laughs> <laughs> and what? Do what with it? Oh, well, the mind control bogg- his mind. Well, the mind boggles. Like I mean, anything. They like, put his DNA in a program and be able to, to yeah. control him at a distance. Yeah, <laughs> For sure. these people are nuts. This is again. It's like full on paranoia, conspiracy theory stuff. Here, look, as manifest in our governments, not in you know wild eyed conspiracy theories. Well, online. here's here's the gold standard for uh, gold standard for media for objective media reporting. Uh, we'll confirm it to you. This is straight from Reuters, where every other media outlet gets all their information, right? Right. Uh, or AP. Um, it's it's right there in, in black and white. Holy smokes. February 11th. Macron refused Russian COVID test over DNA theft fears. Mm. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's all fun and games. But um, what did you think was going to happen? They'd make a clone of Macron yeah, and, replace and, then, him. and replace him, yeah, with a Russian bot, basically, <laughs> a, a, a mind programmed like look a lookalike, basically, you know, right down to the DNA, obviously, and uh, or de- or develop an ethnic specific weapon. That could, would take yeah, him out. just take him out, yeah, detonate it over the Elysee, and uh, it would take out Macron, and that'd be the end of it. I mean, can you imagine? France would be France would have a party. Um, that's, that's, that's amazing. But what's behind all this warmongering? Is anything going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Well, first, let's look at the Pew Research. These are a couple of graphs um, on public trust in government. Kind of interesting for what they're worth. Uh, public trust in government, 1950 to 2021. Something is an interesting little side to this, but uh, obviously, look, that graph is going down, right? Uh, so yeah. this is in the US. So not a lot of public trust in government. And the narrative would be, well, you know, you need to have a, a kind of a, a threat, a danger to the public. So COVID was a danger to the public that necessitated strong government to protect the public and therefore that increases public trust in government, right? The, the, government, uh, the government saved us. Well, so it didn't po- exactly increase much looking at that graph. No, well, that's the problem. Yeah. Uh, obviously, during that time, you had Biden. Well, Biden himself isn't exactly a very trustworthy or trust-inspiring person. Anyway, it was a bad idea to have Biden as a president because it doesn't matter what happens, you can have a COVID scare over a couple of years and still people aren't happy with him. Uh, uh, but maybe the next best thing then is war because war traditionally for governments are some kind of a you know, warmongering or threat of war or fear of war gives the opportunity for presidents or prime ministers or whatever to appear like strong men in a, in a crisis. And it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily involve locking people down because like COVID was okay as a scare, but you had to treat the public fairly badly, you know, and it's, it's always a risk. It was always going to be a risk that the public will come out of it thinking, well, you went too far and you, yeah. you treated us quite badly, so we're not happy with you. It's better to have a war that's over there and, you know, the, the, the prime minister or the president can look you know, presidential and strong, uh, defeating an evil enemy. And, of course, Putin has been set up over many years as the perfect evil enemy just by concocting all sorts of bullshit allegations about him. Uh, but the interesting thing in that graph, actually, is you see the, the downward trend most of the way there. There's a couple of spikes. One of the spikes was uh, two spikes, actually. So March 5th, 1991, what was happening then? 91, the fall of the USSR. March 5th, 1991, and, yeah. the f- and just after the 
Uh, oh, First Iraq War. First Iraq War under yeah. Bush. And then to look at the second spike, if you, I don't know if you put your, your, your cursor over there, Scotty, if you can get it right on the thing, but it's like basically the spike is. Ah, uh, Afghanistan right there, War. No, October 5th, 2021. What, what happened 2000, just before? 2001. What happened just before October 5th, 2001? 9-11. Right, 9-11. So there you have two spikes, and the biggest one, actually, that one for Bush, W, the idiot son of an asshole. Um, As the song goes. 60. You have to go back to like the Nixon era, or even before actually the Johnson era, to find this uh, that level of supposed public trust in government. And then, like I said, the other little spike there was in 1981, although it wasn't that high. Both of those spikes are defined by war to increase public trust in government. Yeah, so but look how short lived. Yeah, exactly. It but is. maybe that's <laughs> that's the best you can get. Um, Interesting things haven't been so good. So, well, we see a little spike off the end there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we see a little spike off the end if if if, if their plans, if, or if their the whole Ukraine Russia thing goes to plan, will we see a little spike in public trust in the Biden government? Who knows? Uh, just go to the next one. I don't know. Uh, British social attitudes. You know the next uh, link. Next uh, tab I sent you. It's uh, BSA not Political consequence of Brexit, this is pitched as Brexit, but again it shows in the UK, and the reason I'm highlighting the US and the UK here, these polls showing a level of trust in governments, because it's the UK and the US and the UK who are primarily leading this, you know, war with Russia, war's imminent, Russia's evil, Russia's Putin, Putin's, Putin's Hitler, Russia's Hitler, Russia's the Nazis, Russia's whatever. Anyway, um, this one again, an interesting, um, there's a few little spikes around the same times. Uh, of uh, of trust in government, but yeah, the the or the purple line just about always is kind of going down. It's quite low, and the and the yellow one almost never is on the way up, right? So that's not a good sign, right? Uh, so that's one rationale. Anyway, there's obviously other rationales, other reasons for them to be engaging in this kind of uh, behaviour towards Russia over Ukraine. But one of them definitely what they have an eye on is public uh, popularity polls, basically, and keeping uh, keeping the public on side in terms of trust and faith in government, you know? Especially yeah. with Joe Rogan around. I mean, if Joe Rogan became president, I believe that would be just... <sighs> there'd be a meltdown. Anyway, um, so... Yeah, I think you can make a general comment that the increasing protests in the Western world, particularly in English-speaking countries, yeah. with the increasing hysteria in the media for war are probably correlated. For sure, yeah. It's not it's that like, simple oh, look, because oh, Russia is not a, without action in this because they, of course, but, stimulated this. But you don't, have to have, you don't have to have a war to get the benefits. Right. You know, from, from the, you know, warmongering and, and as long as it goes to plan where Biden and the West is seen to put Putin and Russia in its place to win the war uh, too, win the information war win, too, the, win the diplomatic war too, too, you don't have to have an actual war yeah it's, it's to reinvigorate belief uh, the creditworthiness of our system of our way of life as the Americans right. would say for sure to score a moral victory right to retain against, against to the retain other the evil our, other <clears throat> why we're better why we're best yeah yeah, that's that's a Western thing and especially an American thing. Yeah. But anyway, on the 
I mean, the allegations around Russia and Ukraine are ridiculous. You know, the I mean, it's just reached hysterical, ridiculous fever pitch, uh, and none of it has any basis in reality whatsoever. I so mean, you think this four days time thing is? It's it's probably well, there's a caveat. It's probably bollocks. Um, <laughs> probably again because it's been bollocks for the past six weeks or eight weeks, right? Yeah. I mean, this has been going on since March. There's, there's a story from March last year in the in the Western media talking about a, a Russian military buildup. Uh, yeah. Along Ukraine's borders, so it's been going on for almost a year, right? Yeah. Although there was a lag, obviously, or a, a, it, it, it simmered down over the summer and stuff. But it started last March, really, and then picked up again in the fall. But um, the claim is that just to deal with some of the ridiculous claims, the claim is that we mentioned it's Lebensraum. It's Russia wants to take back uh, all of its the former Soviet states to re- Putin wants to remake the the Soviet. The Russian Empire or the Soviet Union, whatever, which basically they, the claim would be that I mean they've made that claim explicitly that he wants to take all back back all of the former Soviet states uh, or the, or members of the Warsaw Pact, which basically means everything west or east of east of uh, Italy and Germany, yeah. right? So Russia will take like Romania, Hungary, Slovakia, Slovenia, uh, Bulgaria, Bulgaria, the Baltic states, all of that, right? Ridiculous, obviously. But that's what they, they have no shame in actually claiming that. Um, so it, it smacks of, even for them, it smacks of <clears throat> um, propaganda that they know is propaganda, but they don't care about putting it out there for some ulterior motive, you know? Yeah. Um, but in terms of the actual... Demands. Like, well, in terms of the, the likely um, likelihood of, an, uh, of Russia doing anything, it actually took... Uh, it actually went, um, it actually became more, much more unlikely just in the past few days in a certain sense, at least as far as my uh, weather forecasting system goes, because I looked at uh, weather forecast uh, and f- the weather is getting warmer uh, now and over the next few weeks in uh, most of Europe, uh, Western, Central Europe um, and in Ukraine. And I think it's true that in terms for a mechanized actual invasion, which they claim, the ground needs to be frozen. And the ground usually is frozen right through into March uh, in Ukraine. Uh, it's usually negative temperatures below zero, below freezing um, during the day and at night, obviously. So, But temperatures are right now going up and they will continue to go up, which means – and there's pictures even of trenches in Ukraine stuff and they're walking through mud even uh-huh. at this point. So <coughs> – if the idea that, which I think is true, uh, a fully mechanized, uh, you know, invasion of Ukraine by Russia requires the ground to be hard and frozen, then that's not going to happen. And it is a it is a bit serious consideration because, like, they're talking about Second World War tactics here, where it's not, it's yeah. not just not shooting missiles anymore. It's actually they're talking about you know a, a physical, coming in holding positions. Yeah, physical invasion, and you, and it is the same thing that 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 befell uh, the the Germans in, in, in the Second World War it applies today. If, if the ground is wet and muddy and you're rolling tanks over it or rolling an artillery piece over it, it's not, you're not going anywhere, you know. So uh, the weather even is on the side of the Russians, at least in their claim that they're not invading anyone. That doesn't mean, I don't think, that they might not do something. I don't know for mm. sure. Um, <coughs> what they could do would be a limited possibly limited strike on the... Because the background of all this is, as we know, 
and as, as explained by the, the Russians, they don't want uh, an eastward uh, expansion of NATO right up to the borders, to the point that uh, the NATO, U.S., and its allies, but primarily the U.S., would have possibly the, the thing they've always wanted to achieve in terms of suppressing Russia is a first-strike capability, i.e. close enough to major centers, primarily Moscow and other military bases in the east, where most of Russia's kind of military infrastructure is and civilian infrastructure is, uh, in the east of, in the west of the country, they don't want NATO U.S. missiles with, with the ability to strike them first before they can respond or with very limited notice, basically, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's been Russia's basically single, primarily their, their single uh, demand is that the U.S. respect their borders and respect their security because they, obviously the U.S. sees Russia as an enemy. Okay, you see us as an enemy, you're entitled to do that. But in that case, you should respect the fact that we can, you know, we don't, none of us want to have a major war. So you need to stay away from our borders because you, by, by calling us your enemy, you are threatening us. You are by definition a threat to us. Yeah. Unless you turn around and say you're our friend, then we can, you can obviously, but then you wouldn't put your missiles right on our border anyway, right? Yeah. So uh, it's just, it's, it's just fair, basically. It's reasonable, it's rational, and it's fair. Of course, you won't hear that in the Western media. It's all about Russian aggression, but it's actually NATO aggression that has provoked this whole situation. The other aspect to it is, obviously, in, in Donbass, in, in the east of Ukraine, where there are basically Russian, ethnic Russians living there who have kind of broken away in a certain sense, and Ukraine wants to take those regions back, and they've been emboldened by the US over the past five or six years or seven years since the coup in 2014 to take... Um, to, to take those, to take Donbass back, basically through a, a military invasion. So the actual invasion, the threatened invasion here, is is by Ukraine under the stewardship of the U.S. and its allies to invade eastern Ukraine, which is partially independent and filled with Russian, effectively Russian subjects or Russian citizens. They're not officially citizens, but they're yeah. Russian. They're Russians. That's been a major concern and. Um, that's what the other aspect that has, um, I mean, the two go together, basically. You know, encroaching on Russian interests and Russian security includes Donbass, right? Not just Russia itself, but also Donbass as a kind of, a kind of like pseudo part of Russia with Russian citizens. So um, the threat that they would do that, as we talked about in previous shows, I think became pretty clear. Well, that, that was the intention of the Ukrainians under, under the U.S.'s direction to try and take back Donbass. And it would involve, obviously, a lot of death, a lot of uh, destruction. So Russia drew a line there and said, you're not allowed to do that. Now, we, it's very hard to get information about what you hear. You can get lots of information from social media somehow about Russian military movements and Russian troop movements up to the border of Ukraine. But you don't hear much about, in terms of specific detail, about how much or what the Ukrainian military is doing, other than they're receiving weapons and all that kind of stuff. But are, is the Ukrainian military amassed on the border of Donbass? You know? I think they are, along this contact line. Yeah, but yeah, uh, they have they been piling in more and more troops and more and more equipment over the... You don't hear that because that would be mm. secret, right? Yeah. And you wouldn't hear that in the Western press, you know? Um, so, but if that's actually happening, one possibility is that Russia wouldn't invade at all but or there might be a limited amount of kind of airstrikes in a certain sense, but a lot of missile strikes basically just, you know, to decimate 
the Ukrainian forces on the border of Donbass that are where they're threatening to invade. And because there's no there's no scenario where the Ukrainian forces, trained and armed by the West, would be able to take back Donbass without massive loss of life. Yeah. And if Russia is just going to sit there and, and watch its citizens, effectively its citizens, its you know ethnic Russians, be slaughtered, because those people will not, they'll fight back. It could be a peaceful retake of Donbass if the people in Donbass were happy to, to, to say, okay, we'll just, let, we'll just let Ukraine take back Donbass. But they're not going to do that. And there's no way to resolve that situation. So the US has been pushing that, poking that, that, yeah. that, that sore point, basically, <clears throat> and threatening to do that. And, um, and the Russians have taken it seriously. And that's why they're building up their troops on the, on the border to try and uh, dissuade them from doing that. But if, they see, yeah. but, but if Kiev is... is, is, is mad enough to go ahead and do it um, then Russia will have to do something and maybe they will take a, yeah. a kind of in that sense a, take um, preemptive action if they see that there's something of that nature about to happen it's better to do something before Ukraine would uh, invade yeah. the, the Kiev or the Ukrainian force would invade, invade Donbass you know and, and the other, the problem with Ukraine, the big problem with, of Ukraine and the way it, uh, what it's been turned into since the, t the coup in 2014, is that Ukraine, the Ukrainian government is entirely beholden to the Americans. It's like a, it, you could call it a failed state, basically, in a certain sense, yeah. because it's not it's independent a, or anymore. Or a zombie state. It yeah. requires regular <clears throat> infusions of cash, right, weapons. Right. And it's totally, you know, beholden or, or controlled by, by the West, and they can get them to do whatever yeah. they want. Now, other Baltic states, like if you look at the Baltic states, they're right on Russia's border as well. Estonia, Latvia, Lith Lithuania. They're right on Russia's, Russia's border as well. But they have never accepted uh, NATO. They're NATO members, but they have never accepted missile installments in their countries. Major, right. Because they are sane enough to know that if they did that, well, then Russia would simply point all its missiles at those little countries and obliterate them overnight. So they're, they're saying, listen, from, our, from a self-preservation point of view, we're not having any of your missiles right on Russia's border. But the same apparently doesn't apply to Ukraine. And why doesn't the Ukrainian government show some self-preservation and say, listen, we shouldn't, you know, <clears throat> because they haven't given any assurances. Kiev could step in here and say, listen, that is the thing that's missing. America is talking it. about it, but Kiev haven't, haven't, hasn't stepped in and said, listen, we're not going to allow any Russian or any American uh, offensive missile capability on our soil or anywhere close to the Russian border. They could end the whole thing by, by saying that, and they could still join NATO because the Baltic states are members of NATO, but they haven't done that. And they could do the same as, the, as those Baltic states. Why haven't they done it? Because they're not independent. Yeah. From, they're entirely from, a creature of America. Yeah. They're not independent <clears throat> from, from two directions, and that's the main direction from the United States, but also because they have this rabid element in the country that pressures Zelensky dom domestically. Right. He has been saying some some half-hearted things asking that people just tone down the rhetoric. He reiterated something again this week. I can't remember what exactly he said. But um, – and remember his mandate. His, he was formally – he was elected. He is the official government in Kiev. He was elected in a landslide election three years ago. And the mandate was peace. It was not – it was the opposite of trying to retake Donbass by mm -hmm. force. It was to be peace. He only won by that 70% yeah. margin because an enormous volume of people who see themselves as ethnic Russians mm -hmm. 
voted so, for him to get rid right. of that other idiot, Poroshenko. Poroshenko. But Poroshenko, who was installed after the coup, who was the coup, post-coup president, he is now, he, he was out of Ukraine. He kind of fled Ukraine in a certain sense, but he came back um, recently. Uh, but he's accused of treason. There's, there's charges filed against him for treason. And he's the coup. He's, he's the guy who like freed, uh, supposedly freed Ukraine in, the, in, in, uh, in, in 2014 from Russian influence. But within a few years, there's, there's treason uh, accusations against him. And primarily, it's like the treason, again, it's like kind of trumped up. He was basically, because he's an oligarch and he has a lot of industry uh, connections and stuff, he was involved in selling coal to Donbass. And on the basis of him selling coal, or sorry, buying coal from Donbass, uh, that's treason. And that, that shows you the element of the people who are really in control, really in, control in, in Kiev, like that kind of radical right-wing neo-Nazi type element who are actually in control. Uh, they're the ones who are bringing those charges against him. Like imagine charging someone for tre- your mindset because you bought coal yeah. from these break- this breakaway part of Ukraine. Your 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 treasonous your traitor. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's that wild, wild-eyed, uh, radically neo-Nazi, anti-Russian element that is in control in Kiev that is was put there by Washington. Uh, that is a problem for for Russia. Yeah. Clearly, a problem for Russia, and they see them as extremely violent, unpredictable, radical, hysterical nut jobs who will do anything, and that's why they have no they have no. No doubt that those people would launch an invasion of Donbass and slaughter thousands of people. Yeah. <clears throat> and Zelensky will be left holding a bloody knife. He right. won't be actually supportive of it. He'll probably have to own it publicly. But um, he, yeah, he's basically calling for calm to the point that there's memes going around in, you know, in the West where it's like, hang on a second, war with Russia over Ukraine is imminent. But both Russia and Ukraine don't want the war. Yeah. So who wants the war? Exactly. Well, <laughs> who wants the war and for what reasons? Yeah, the West. Can you, can you speak again to um, – okay, this, this is one – this is the visible geostrategic motivation for both Russia and Washington over pushing Kiev forces to retake the Donbass. Um. Is that all there is to it, though? Like, for example, well, that guy who criticized um, Boris Johnson this week, T- Tobias Elwood, some Tory backbencher or whatever, he said something interesting in that Daily Mail article. He's quoted as saying, you know, as soon as this kicks off, the first thing that's going to go is food prices are going to skyrocket mm-hmm. globally mm-hmm. as a result because Ukraine is bread quite basket. a major breadbasket, even though its economy is wrecked. Um, it does produce like it's number three for wheat. It's number one for sunflower seed and so on. It is a major yeah, agri- very agricultural yeah. producer. Um, he was so Johnny on the. He knows what's coming next. Is that because it's, it's hard to say? Do they want that to happen next? But yeah, well, there's certain. I mean, here you get into the Great Reset and all that kind of stuff, and those kind of uh, ideas about uh, a reset of the global economy and stuff. And to have a reset of the global economy, you have to have a crisis first. You have to have a collapse of the global economy, let's say, uh, in one way or another. So there may be people who have that as an idea uh, and who see this an opportunity to to make it happen. But so there's different competing factions. You know, there's there's yeah. 
there's overt government agenda, which we just kind of described in terms of popularity back at home. Um, you know, so there's personal agendas on on, on the part of um, presidents and prime ministers and their advisors and people around them who want to increase public. Uh, faith and trust in the government and a good way to do that is to have a war that a kind of war or some kind of a war that doesn't affect anybody back home but makes you look like a a, a victor basically you know and then your credibility goes up and everything's good you know uh, but yeah there's there's likely that there's other people behind the scenes who um who who would be you know thinking in terms of the whole great reset and we need to retool the global economy, reset the global economy on a different basis. And that gets into what you were saying earlier on about, uh, or we were saying about um, uh, digital currencies, you know, remaking the global economy on a different footing that basically reduces control or, uh, that the control of ordinary people over their lives and increases it amongst the authorities. But well, there's... Yeah. Um, this is where I think there might be a correlation with and the, reason the rising dissent as well. Yeah. Because how best to deal with it at the end of the day, I think the kind of political thinking think tank people pr- probably have a very cold, straightforward economic rationale to everything. Everyone's, you know, a rational economic agent. So when they see protesters, they go, well, hang on a second. L- times are too good for people. If they have the luxury, as they see it, to come protest, and it's a yeah. rising problem everywhere, how do we give them a problem? This? Give yeah, them a problem. Give, well, give if we impoverish everyone. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Have an economic collapse. Where so people it, can't get it food. purpose isn't to have the war as a distraction per se, although that helps. It's it's for the economic consequences they're hammering on about it, that we're going to sanction the hell out of Russia mm-hmm. and there's going to be blowback for all yeah, our economies. Yeah. All of it, and they're like, yes, that's good. Yeah, all of it implies that they don't care about any blowback or a major downturn in the global economy and, and where that could go. They don't care. They actually welcome it. I mean, if you look at the statements, they don't. They're, they're happy about that. They're will. They're willing to take that hit. If you know what I mean. Of course, they won't be taking a hit. It'll be the people who take a hit, which is always the case. But when I talk about people behind the scenes planning, a, a, kind of wanting a, a, a great reset or a, an economic, global economic crash uh, and a, and a, a re- re-establishment of the, of the global economy on different footing, that sounds very conspiratorial. But here we're talking about uh, this in the context of, if you put it in the context of COVID, I mean, I don't think anybody with any any reasonable person at this point would dismiss the possibility and even probability that SARS-CoV-2 was made in a lab and either accidentally or even possibly, probably, deliberately released. I mean, that's not something that's far out there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's talked about in mainstream circles that that's what actually happened. That's the world we live in. So who did that? And what was their intention? And is that any is that does that uh, is that any any less or, or, or more Machiavellian than having a or organizing a a collapse a global economic crisis or a global economic collapse? It's it's in the same ballpark, right? Yeah. So we're in a brave new world here, you know what I mean? And uh, and it's not made up, you know what I mean? It's the the evidence is there for anybody to uh, to, to look at, you know? Yeah. It might not be appealing. It might not might not be comfortable to look at it, but that's what that's what is, you know. Yeah. And of course, the media in all of this is a complete another shill for uh, for these agendas. They they don't question. They don't inform the population. They don't ask the right questions. They don't they don't question at all, really, except the token questioning here and there. Um, 
And the way that they're reporting things is, uh, is so detached from what the average person thinks, at least the average thinking person, because a lot of people out there who aren't thinking at all, who are just mind-numbingly or, or, or blindly following government dictates and mainstream media dictates. But um, there's a lot of people out there, probably a majority, who are at least still able to think a little bit, and they see that the media doesn't, is, is, is divisive, is manipulative, and, and deceptive in the way that they report on things. And an example would be, let's go to the CNN article there, um, as a prime example of the way they report on things and how they alienate any thinking person is is this one from yeah, from CNN. Right. I mean... That's nuts. Who? Joe Rogan's use of the N-word is another January 6th moment. And that's from today? Yeah, that's from today. Um... So, I mean, just consider that, I mean, anybody who knows anything about Joe Rogan and, and the situation, we talked about it last week, about uh, him him being in the spotlight in this way because of the use of the word, of the N-word, the N-word, his, his past use of the N-word, most of which was in the context of him discussing the kind of etymology of the word and the usage of the word and why it's strange, how it can be used by one group and can't be used by another group and that kind of stuff. You know, he wasn't throwing it out there just as a, as a, as a pejorative or as a, as as an a slur or an insult or whatever. And the reason, he, the reason that was dug up and put out there was because of his facilitation of two doctors, two medical professionals on his show to give a counter-narrative to the official COVID narrative. And when he did that, somebody then digs up him using the N-word. And then CNN takes it to another degree of ridiculousness where they start saying that it's him using the N-word, which isn't really the issue because it was brought up as a yeah. put-down of him because of his COVID opinions. Means he's leading an insurrection and the overthrow of the US government. And anyway, January 6th was worse than 9-11, yeah. Right? Right. So that means Joe Rogan's use of the N-word is worse than 9-11. Yes, and threatens to... Destroy our way of life. Yes. And everything we hold dear. Yes, him discussing the N-word does that. That's the media, that's CNN. And then the, the CNN scratch their heads or the mainstream media scratch their head and wonders why people have a very negative attitude of them. It's as plain as the big sweaty nose on Brian's altered face. Um, yeah, so uh, one other thing... Yahoo News, Scotty. Uh, it, again, just yesterday, I think last night, this guy John, uh, John is it John Durham? Um, is his name John Durham? Anyway, he's the professional prosecutor from the Department of Justice, who is, has been for several months, way back into last year, looking into um, looking into the whole Russia hoax, basically business around Trump, right? Mm -hmm. And he is basically file charges um, against individuals, one of whom is accused and gave made, made false statements to a federal agent. Um, specifically, first of all, his statements, uh, he, he was making statements about links between uh, the Trump, uh, Trump and uh, uh, people involved in the Russian bank, yeah. Basically, that was led led to claims that 
Russia was financing Trump or whatever, blah, 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 Russian collusion, right? And uh, so one guy who made those statements who, uh, and the statements themselves were, were false, but he also made other false statements specifically about who was, who was paying him to do this research. So he was the one who was researching, looking up uh, links between Trump and a Russian bank that has ties to Putin, right? <clears throat> and he made false statements when he was asked, who, who, do you, who are you doing this for, who's paying you? He said that uh, he wasn't getting paid by anybody. But then they discovered documents that uh, showed that he was getting regular infusions from the Clinton campaign right. to do that work. So basically, the allegation at the time, if you remember, that uh, it was all financed and the whole Russia collusion, Trump is in bed with Putin, was all financed. All those allegations were financed by Clinton, who was running against Trump for president. Uh, they were said to be false and delusional, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, at the time, are now proven to be true again, and the media didn't report on it at the time when everybody else uh, who had any sense knew what was going on. And in fact, Trump himself, to his credit, if you throw up that first Twitter, or the only Twitter um, link there, he uh, this is him on 60 Minutes, uh, Josh Mandel, Ohio, just play that and you'll get a... So the biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my well, campaign, There's Leslie. no real evidence of that. Of course there is. No. It's all over the place. Leslie, Sir, they spied on my campaign and they got I, caught. Can I say something? You know, this is 60 Minutes, and we can't put on things we can't no, verify. You won't put it on because it's bad for Biden. We can't Look, put on things we can't verify. Leslie, they spied and, on my campaign. Well, we can't verify It's been totally that. verified. No. It's been, just go down and get the papers. They spied on my campaign. They got caught. No. And then they went much further than that, and they got caught. And you will see that, Leslie, and you know that, but you just don't want to no. put it on the air. No, as a matter of fact, I don't know that. Okay. <clears throat> and, and, you know, they did get caught. But Is that a recent interview? No. Uh, no. Probably when he was still president or something. Yeah. Anyway. But <clears throat> the media did cover it up, you know. Yeah. Um, it was covered up, obviously, behind the scenes in, 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 in Washington as well. But, and then the media did the same thing. They covered it up because Washington, Washington establishment told them to cover it up because the media is basically a, the fifth branch of government, right? Uh, the mainstream media. The legacy media, as they hate to be called. I, I think they should be called the state media. Yeah. Because that's, that's how they tarnish Russian Russia media. Russia today, yeah. But they hide behind the cloak of Privacy, you know, we're private entities. No government can control us, but they all speak exactly what the government tells them to. Yeah, you know, it's their state media. Yeah, so there's all sorts of stuff here. Like, there's an article there that RT one passenger plane diverted from Ukraine. Lufthansa, I think, has cancelled all their flights until further notice over Ukraine. No more flights over Ukraine. Um, this one was actually a Skyup, which is a, a Portuguese or no, it's a, a Ukrainian airline but flying from Portugal to, to Kiev and it, the aircraft has been leased by an Irish-based owner and the Irish-based owner pro prohibited it from entering Ukraine's airspace because <laughs> they've watched too much CNN probably. Um, I think it's KLM. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> they're all acting as if, they are indeed acting as if it's about to happen. Something like a dozen embassies have withdrawn right, their people. as well. Uh, well, yeah. Again, is that just, you know, to, to ramp up the rhetoric and make it seem like it's... Uh, you know there was an explosion yeah. yesterday along the contact line somewhere? 
in Donbass. And no one's saying. Someone knows, but they're not saying what it was. Yeah. Um, there's KLM suspends Ukraine, Ukraine flights over security concerns. I mean, heightened tensions in Eastern Europe. KLM has decided to halt its commercial flights to Ukraine, which is interesting because the Ukrainians came out and said, listen, our airspace isn't closed. That's bullshit. Ukraine, throughout, yeah. throughout all this, <clears throat> Ukraine has been basically pushing back against the Western narrative. Yeah. At least the Zelensky and his people yeah. who aren't really in control uh, are kind of saying, hang on a minute, stop the, stop the hysteria. This, you know, we don't know what's happening. So well, it's they're probably not being told. Flight. Yeah. The money is leaving. Right. But it, they said that they didn't, that, that their airspace is open. And I don't think that's the point. The point is your airspace can be open, but if enough pressure is put by Western governments on airlines, they'll stop flying over your country. So your airspace may as well be closed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, is that just building it up, uh, building it up even more to pressure increase, Russia? Uh, yeah. Or, or who knows, trying to provoke Russia to do something to make it look, it seems like. Well, I think we'll have our answer if in, in short time, yeah, something on the, happens. On the 15th. And it's probably, here's so. a prediction. We're going to easily see that the provocation was Western calls. So it's the false flag, but in reverse from what they're claiming it mm -hmm. is. And thereafter, you know, that'll be the answer. If they if they go down that route. Um, yeah. I think there could be, it, it's all just, it is all smoke and mirrors. And Russia knows very well what it can or can't do or what it needs to do. And it's just, um, obviously there's a threat of sanctions, but they've said that, that they... Sanctions would be whatever. We'll handle sanctions. It's not that bad. They protected themselves against sanctions. So if they see their main concern, obviously the broad concern, like I said, is about uh, NATO expansion eastwards right up to Russia's borders. They're not going to be able to do much about that. Uh, NATO's not going to back down on that. It doesn't matter. They're not going to play ball. They're not going to be reasonable. But their main pressing immediate concern is the Ukrainian forces being used as a proxy to basically... Uh, give Russia a problem, i.e. by giving them the green light or getting to the point where they do actually invade Donbass and um, and Russia has to respond. Now, Russia, would, like I said, would want to anticipate that and before that happened, it would want to try and do something about it. So there's a possibility, the only possibility I leave open really at this point is that there might be some kind of a, if you want to call it uh, uh, clinical, <laughs> uh, whatever, uh, an attack on the, if they're, if they're there uh, on, on Ukrainian troops amassed on the Donbass border, looking like they're planning or Russia gets a hint that they're planning to go ahead and invade and Russia would try and inflict enough damage that they would stop, basically, that they wouldn't go anywhere. And it would be done and over in, you know, a day. And then that would be it. That would be it, because yeah. the U.S. has explicitly stated we're not actually going to go, no, no, go no, in there ourselves. No, of course they're not. No, no, of course so, not. And there'll be no nuclear war. There'll be no, and there'll be, be some sanctions. They'll implement some sanctions. The sanctions will be fairly toothless, and it'll all just blow over. Well, and then it'll go down in history as Russia invaded Ukraine. Well, well no, but that won't be the end of the story, because those sanctions we're talking, they're talking about are... are it'll be the end of that are, story. Are, are, ...are insane. It'll be the end of that story. They're talking like Russia can't trade internationally. I know. Ergo, but, less gas reaches Europe. But will it actually happen? Right. Threats, threats, threats. threats, threats. All, so all we sorts have, of bar we, all what barking. We, what we've yet to see is if Europe is is as united as Washington wants everyone to believe yeah. it is. Yeah, exactly. I don't, th I don't think they are. I don't think they'll do anything. 
You know, I mean, there may be other knock-on effects as a result that, like that are unforeseen. Like has said, 100%, if Russia does a thing in around Ukraine, Nord Stream 2, forget about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Washington well, just decides well, Nord Stream 2 is finished. Yeah, but Germany, Germany, might, Germany and might the rest say. of Europe might have a different opinion on that when the dust settles, you know what I mean? Okay, let's just quietly... It's interesting, you know, the new German chancellor went to Washington last week. Yeah. And uh, Biden got his the headlines he wanted out of it. So mm. the U.S. media just reported it as Germany and Washington United Front. Awesome. Yeah. What he actually lockstep. said in lockstep, he used the term we're in lockstep. Yeah, right. What he actually said, one detail when asked, you know, Nord Stream 2 is finished, right? If, if Russia does anything, he said, well, no, we'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. So this is- no, it's, there's no lockstep there at all. Yeah. And like I said, the only, the in all of this, Russia makes a big deal. They use the opportunity over Ukraine and stuff to bring up the, the main point, which is NATO doing what it's done in Ukraine, uh, and it's mainly just Ukraine. That's when they talk about NATO's expansion eastward. They're at this point they're just talking about Ukraine because NATO has expanded as far as it's going to expand, and in the way that it's going to expand into other European uh, countries, uh, as far as it's going to go. That, that, that's it. That's stable at this point. The only problem clearly is Ukraine. And the nature of the government in Ukraine, the fact that it's not an independent government, that it's very much, it's virulently anti-Russian because it was made that way by the US in 2014. And that it's... They it's, hate it's Jews go- too, but let's right. not say that too loudly in the and West, huh? Yeah, and it's going to be, it's going to, you know, for the foreseeable future, it's going to be very antagonistic towards Russia and Russia doesn't want that happening. Uh, that kind of a country on its border. And it also, even more pressingly, wants to make sure that the people in Donbass, that it has... A lot, a lot of responsibility for, are protected. So the only thing that when it, when you remove all the bullshit yeah. and you focus right down on what's actually going on here and what's likely, what's po- what could happen, there are two possible things. One is that Russia will, as a result of all of this situation, the military build-up and the dipl- diplomacy and the talks and stuff, that Russia will achieve its goal of making sure that Ukraine does not. The Ukrainian army is not encouraged to invade Donbass or even pr- probably not Crimea. Crimea is off the, off the cards, but Donbass. Make sure that they don't invade Donbass. Or if they can't do that, and it looks like the crazies in Washington are going to push the Ukrainians to go ahead and, in, in conjunction with the crazies in, in Kiev, will mm-hmm. go ahead and send their soldiers into a slaughter uh, to not only uh, slaughter but be slaughtered in Donbass. If it looks like that's going to happen, then Russia will probably take preemptive action and wipe out most of the Ukrainian army on the front oh, line, along the, along the line of Donbass. That's it. And that'll be as far as it goes. And once that happens, then there'll be all sorts of, there'll be lots of opportunity in the media for screaming scream, and crying and gnashing of teeth and all that sky. kind of stuff. There'll be talk about sanctions, blah, 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 but the sanctions will go nowhere and everything will calm down and then we'll move on to the next Putin crisis. is Hitler and Genghis Khan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that. All that. Heard it all before. Well, um, when you accuse someone of killing your baby, you've already done it. They accused Putin of, of killing people's babies uh, several years ago. By blowing planes out of the yeah, sky. Yeah, yeah, you can't go any. I mean, being, <laughs> you've done your worst, like, you know. Uh, there's nothing worse you can, you could maybe call him a paedophile or something like that, but. Okay, <clears throat> there's worse to come. Well, no, I mean, they could, if they had any evidence, they might do that, but uh, that's, there's no worse to come. They can, they can call him Hitler. Hitler's, Hitler wasn't directly accused of killing babies, like. I don't think I don't think anything's going to happen in the Ukraine. Yeah, well, it's you want to know, know why? Because Nancy Pelosi's not going to allow it, and you yeah. want to know why? Why? 
for the children. 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 Yes. For the children. But Nancy at the helm. For the children. Oh, oh stop, see. stop, make her stop. Oh, look at that face. It's on a loop. Oh, my God. The face that Night Murder made of. For the children. For the children. For the children. Where's my gin? Where's my gin and tonic? Where's my uppers? Um, God knows what she's on. Yeah. Okay. So. That's a good, that's a good sit rep. On uh, yeah, that's the, my the crystal. Uh, that's my crystal ball uh, for what's likely to happen. You know, cutting through the bullshit, and it's tiresome to listen and watch all the headlines. And it's just—I mean, I just get annoyed with it. Like you know, it's like somebody—it's a broken record. You know, I mean, broken record is known as a an annoying thing because it's really annoying, right? Like something that just goes kind of like Nancy Pelosi was doing there, her. But also, there's a broken record of the same headlines over and over again. Russia imminent. I mean, what pisses me off is that for the past six weeks. Every day, the Western media has put up headlines as if they're new. Yeah. And like, maps, maps. Here's where the troops are. Yeah. And the arrows pointing yeah. in. And, and they'll have the same 100,000 troops massed in the Russian, as if it's new. It's like, dude, you had that headline every day for the past six weeks, as if it was new every day. And it wasn't new then either. No, it was only new on the first day. Every other day it was old. Why do you keep doing that? It's like a, uh, yeah. Ah, where's my fish? Slap him, Joe. Who? Brian Stelter. Bring him in here. <laughs> anyway. You could contact with that head of his. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't miss. Um, yeah. So anyway, I think that'll do. I mean, that's been our topic. I mean, what are we going to do? There's nothing else. There are other things to talk about, but nothing of. Return of AIDS. AIDS is coming back. Yeah. HIV. The 1980s called. Yeah. They want our virus back. They want their their. Maybe we'll leave it to another week. It's it's bizarre, isn't it? It's weird. They've rolled out Prince Harry to do part of a British campaign to make sure everyone gets tested for HIV. That's the the weirdest thing about that is the the allegations by Luc Montagnier, who who actually died died during during the week. He was the guy who discovered HIV, the actual virus. He sequenced it um, in the 80s. And... um, he looked at SARS-CoV-2 and he said that there are, there's a segment or sequence of HIV in the spike protein. as part of the spike protein, uh, part of the sequence yeah. of the spike protein. See, he several that, inserts. He, he said, said that uh, April 2020, so almost two years ago. Yeah. And there was an Indian paper. That, uh, Indian the, said that, that, that was retracted. That, that was but Montaigne did his own research separately. Yeah, exactly. The same thing. Yeah. Uh, so someone stuck HIV in there. Um, well, elements of... Well, it stuck and an, an a sequence, a part the, of the sequence. Within of the spike. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so now it's really weird but that being kind of part of the history, a part of the, 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 the kind of the reality, the truth of SARS-CoV-2, the hidden truth of SARS-CoV-2. Uh, it's weird now, two years later, yeah. after it's kind of gone, to see this out-of-the-blue campaign with Prince Harry saying, and he even linked the two, it was weird in the headline, Prince Harry says that he's going to get tested for HIV in order to protect others, just like with COVID. Mm. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Mm. There are a few threads to pull on here. Will we do it another time? Yeah. Okay. We're turned. It's probably going to be a building. Yeah. And in the news, we'll have to let it mature. Ahead. Mature a bit. Yeah. Alrighty. So, um, 
Fauci is the expert on AIDS, so we are again in good hands. Exactly. Oh yeah, well that's the thing. This goes back. <clears throat> Fauci was there in the thick of it in the eighties. Um. <laughs> Mushroom Mag- Magpie says Canada has a lot of troops within a hundred kilometers of the U.S. border. Is that a cause for concern? No, because they're all trained by Trudeau, <laughs> so they're no threat. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, harsh now. Can you scroll up on that? Are there any more comments up above? You can't scroll up, can you? So we can uh, no, not on, not on your not display, on our screen. No. Well, whatever. Uh, unless there's, there's something, unless there's something pressing. Well, uh, mm, no, don't see anything. All right, there's just general general chatter, like an intelligence. Oh, I can scroll up. Oh, you can. There you go. Yeah, we just had the. Go- <laughs> I just gotten over it. There's eighty six thousand U.S. soldiers in Europe. They use attention to occupy. Oops. The thirty six, sixty six, sixty six, sixty six thousand in Europe. They use attention to occupy Europe better. Yeah. Sort of. It's it's weird. They they're wanted in Europe. It's it's hard to call them an occupying force. Yeah, and as Incendiary said, don't forget to click like on the uh, on the on the on the video because uh, it helps the algorithm. The algorithm is happy when you click like. And also, if you haven't subscribed, don't forget to subscribe and uh, comment. Yes, thanks for commenting. Commenting is apparently useful for uh, the algorithm, right? Algorithm likes commenting as well, huh? Yeah. Are you going to say something about me? No. Comment on Joe's attire appearance. Yes. Yeah. No. Do you approve? Disapprove? Yeah. Are you what shocked? Do you, do you find it vulgar? Is that vulgar? Do you find is it, it racist? Um, uplifting? Is it racist? Well, actually, what do people think that is? What do you think people think that is? It's, it looks like a, a wooden ornament. What do you think it, they think it represents? That's a bit of a silly question, right? Obviously. You want me to say the obvious? Christianity? Yeah. Actually, it's not. It's actually in remembrance of Caesar. What? Yeah. Because that's where it actually came from, right? The cross. Because uh-huh. when Caesar, who was like a cool person, um, good guy. Um, Wasn't he a dictator? He, no, that's, again, Putin's a dictator. So, so was Caesar, right? Caesar uh. was Hitler. <laughs> um, so uh, when, he was, when he was, after he was assassinated, the people kind of like, um, you know, commemorated him basically by creating an eff- effigy and mounting it on a kind of cross. A trophium in the form of a cross, and that's where the cross symbolism came from, at least the Christian cross. So it's actually a representation of the death and memory and legacy of Caesar. Of Julius Caesar. Of Julius Caesar, yeah, sorry, yeah. Ave. There you go. That's what it's about, just in case anybody thought it was a Christian. <laughs> I was a Jesus freak or something. We were talking about this earlier, like the, the distance people have to cross, cross, um, between what they believe today, whether it's about history, religion, if they're of that faith or another, and what happened. The actual origins of things versus what they believe. It's such a huge, like, you go from like this hippie with long hair and sandals, you know, walking the desert, to an actual known historical figure who was the emperor, well, who wasn't actually self-declared emperor, but mm-hmm. whatever, the emperor of Roman civilization, the Western world, 
I was going to say 2,000 years ago, but it's actually more like 1,500, 1,600 years ago. That's another thing they have to cross, time distortion. Yeah. I mean... It's impossible task, yeah. It's impossible. Can I, Where would we start? You need to do 100 shows on it to like get to dismantle a number of things and then fill it in yeah. roughly with rough what we think are the best approximations. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's impossible task. The best you can do is just pick one little segment and try and understand one little, one little segment, you know? Okay. And get an understanding of how history and, is kind of falsified yeah. and what you know, what was more likely to have been happening at that particular time in that particular era in that particular set of events, whatever you know. And you can kind of extrapolate a little bit there in a in a, in a loose way. Uh, once you understand how it's falsified in one area, you can kind of like um, uh, yeah, you can look at other areas and at least have an idea of you know. Well, the official story here probably isn't exactly how it happened, you know. Yeah, and. It's, yeah, truth and what exactly happened is difficult enough to find out. But narrative is the key thing. I think. Yeah. And you know, powerful people understand that, that the importance of narrative. Mm -hmm. Another book by this uh, Klaus Schwab is, is called The Great Narrative for a Better Future, mm. um, published with some French philosopher or something. He thinks about it a lot. What do people believe? Well, basically his book is about the things they do believe or have believed in recent generations are breaking down. So we need to be ready for them with a new paradigm of his book, Great Narrative of Meaning. Of course, this is Klaus Schwab, who has obsessions with nanobots and stuff like that yeah, yeah. and transhumanism. Yeah. So he's going to have a particular and weird version of it. But at least the guy is correct in assessing that people need a story. Mm. They prefer that it's true. And you've got to convince them that it's true for it to stick. Yeah. But it's narrative they're seeking, yeah. the meaning yeah. in life. Yeah. A great narrative, small narratives in each country, in each class, and depending on your background. Mm -hmm. But it all adds up to one great narrative. Mm -hmm. And he, they understand that. That's why they have this huge apparatus. They, I mean, broadly speaking, powerful people have access to media and information. The history books, they write the history, of course, as they go along through the ages. Right. And it all adds up to a great narrative. And he's astute enough to realize that part of a big plank in what's going on in the world today is that those narratives people have are breaking down, mm -hmm. including their overall coherent one. Mm -hmm. I suppose the, the overall great narrative of our day is something like Pax Americana. The West is the best. Mm -hmm. Everyone else wants to emulate it. Mm -hmm. Blah, blah, blah. But 9-11 happened and then... Stupid wars, costly wars, with no apparent gain for the empire, mm -hmm. so to speak. Uh, that begat terrorism, ISIS fires, uh, terrorist fires coming out, and then people are like, "Hang on, we're funding them, but what's the point of it all?" Then you know, yeah. meaningless questions. You know, trust in government. Up to saw in those graphs, it just goes down and down and down and down. Mm -hmm. And so Schwab, as like a thinker of sorts and of the elite, is astute enough to go, "Okay." We have a crisis of narrative. Mm -hmm. I'm going to write one. Write a new one, yeah. Write a good one, yeah. <laughs> and he's going to be, he's, he's going to have a serious like, shock in the coming years at how few people are going to take up his. Yeah, exactly. People but he is at least astute and correct in, in assessing that that yeah. is well, yeah. what people need. need. What's breaking down, what they're lacking now. Jordan Peterson now on the other side of the scale, he's stepping in with meaning. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in any grand sense, but they're quite big, you know, and deep. And his popularity is shot up because mm -hmm. he's 
coming up with it. It's a new narrative with old truths. There aren't. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It relies on, yeah. and he's a thinker and he wants the truth and he wants the history as he understands it as truly as possible mm-hmm. to rewrite narratives for people. Yeah. Meaning, which, which he used to do, of course, for a living, which is what a psychotherapist will do with mm-hmm. a person who's having a mental yeah. crisis. Like, what is what? I don't understand anymore. I don't have meaning. And their psychotherapy is finding mm-hmm. new meaning. Mm-hmm. You know? Pick up your damn burden. Yes, he has some great, you know, Pick up your burden and, and shoulder it. And yeah, um, of course, I don't think Klaus Schwab says that. And, and if you're going to be a narrative creator, it, it helps if you don't look like a body out of a James Bond movie. I mean, somebody needs to give that guy a Persian cat every time he's on stage, you know, just have yeah. it there in his lap. And, he's like, and the Yes, ac- Mr. Bond. The accent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's like there's something that's weird like that. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. a bit of a cosmic joke or something, you know. Anyway, uh, yeah. I think we'll end it there for this week, almost two hours. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another show and on updating you on what's been going on and giving you the the deets, and we'll make the deets stick, just like Victoria Newland did in Ukraine. And uh, we'll have Joe give him an attaboy. Attaboy to all the uh, all the regime changers and, and you know uh, anti F the EU. And yeah, and fuck the you. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for commenting, and we appreciate it. And we appreciate your support. We'll be back next week with another show, like I just said. Uh, until then, have a good week and keep the faith. Till next week. Bye, everyone. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.